My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 40 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Happy Christmas everybody and in this week's Christmas special we've got an in-depth chat with head coach of Running Coach Ireland, Rene Borg, on the differences between the how and what of our training and our training systems, as well as some excellent questions and answers on training and racing sent in from our listeners. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go! How are you guys? Here we are, the last show before Christmas, and hopefully as you're listening to this, you are enjoying a nice run somewhere, building up an appetite for the days ahead, and sure, if you're not running right this minute, make sure you do get out later on if you can, and you'll enjoy those endorphin hits for the rest of the day post-run. I hope the trails and the mountains and the miles and the kilometers have all been good to you guys this year, and the most important thing is that you're enjoying your training, you're enjoying your racing, and listen, for those days when things didn't go quite right hopefully some knowledge was gained and isn't it great still to be learning every day in this wonderful sport some results to catch up on firstly the guys before we move on and well done to nick hogan and leanne van dyke who won the glanagilty marathon on december 11th with Edie kelleher and sean quirk taking the win in the half marathon and in international news since our last podcast the utmb World Series major events for the 2022-2023 seasons have been confirmed with Valderan in the north of Spain being selected as the major series event for Europe and Translantau by UTMB a leading race in Hong Kong for the Asia Pacific major series event. In total, there's 24 international races that are now confirmed for the inaugural UTMB World Series in 2022, including close to home the Ultra Trail Snowdonia by UTMB in Wales, with a further six races, I think, to be confirmed early in the new year. And of course, this new calendar of 30 races will lead up to the first ever UTMB World Series finals in Chamonix in August in 2023. And what What do those UTMB World Series majors that I just mentioned, what do they mean for runners? They mean an additional qualification chance for the UTMB World Series finals with the top 10 male and the top 10 female runners in each of those World Series major finals um, in the 50k, 100k and 100 mile categories automatically winning their place at the 2023 finals in Chamonix. And for those other races, or sorry, those major events, they also give double the amount of running stones into the draw in Chamonix, Fort Chamonix and UTMB, Mont Blanc. And for the rest of those 30 races from next year, they will be the only place where runners can get access to those running stones to get into the draw to try and get to the start line in the UTMB World Series finals in Chamonix. So for anybody dreaming of that race over the next few years, guys, 
do check out the details on their site on their website it does sound a little bit complicated but from working at they race there in Chamonix for the last three years on the start line, on the finish line, seeing more and more Irish finishers as well year on year. It's such a wonderful event. It really is the, the Olympic Games of our sport and hopefully well worth the investment to get there. Um, before we call it Rene, guys, a big massive thank you as I do in every podcast to our Patreons who have supported the show all year. Um, the main objective with the podcast, as you know, is simply to grow the sport of trail and mountain running in Ireland and in a fun and free way for our listeners and to encourage people of all levels to fulfill their dreams on the mountains on the trails and to get fitter and healthier along the way so thank you to everybody that has listened in this year and a big thank you to all of our patreons who have contributed all year round and to vincent morrissey who came on board since our last show as well if anybody new would like to help out and if you have enjoyed it listening to the show all year there's a three euro or six euro a month option on patreon the price of a gel the price of a gel a month is all it takes to help keep us going and you can find out more on patreon.com trail running ireland podcast and as i always say we will never put up paywalls for any segment of the show and if you can help out great and it's a big thank you from me if you can okay guys enough christmas chit chat for now let's get moving on with the show and call in our coaching guru with some wonderful tips on training that will no doubt lead to improvements for 2022. Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas, Rene. How are you keeping, mate? Hi, Owen. Thanks. Yeah, no, I was, I was just telling you, we uh, had a busy little day here because I was out with my boys uh, to buy awards for the running club because we have a the last club race of the season tomorrow and that means the, the winners will be decided. So, you know, I, I should have delegated the task because i don't think i'm the best person picking presents and um, but i think i just got the usual mixture you know of gift cards wine and chocolates so uh, hopefully the winners will be happy enough with it anyway so does that mean Rene, you'll be able to get your long run in on sunday morning or would he be on the couch on sunday morning <laughs> Well, it'll never be Sunday morning because my wife gets the honors of running with the club. Um, so I'm always at the moment, you know, unless I want to go like at 4 a.m. <laughs> I or 5 a.m., I have to go in the afternoon. So I, okay. I, I imagine after the, the little celebrations we will have, uh, it'll probably suit me well enough. And uh, I'll, I'll see what I feel like. This is a time of the year for me where I like to... Um, just dose down the seriousness of everything a bit you know I, I think everyone has different times i know some people like to really work hard over christmas because there's a lot of gluttony yeah um, but but i tend to kind of save it up for the, the first second of january um and then try and have a real clean january and uh, that's definitely going to be the plan this time as well i know and did you say Rene, that it was Aoife that's going to be hitting the streets of wicklow 5k or would he be tempted to jump in yourself on it it's yeah Aoife has a very romantic relationship to that she's just always really enjoyed that race and um so she, she's going to be doing it. I, I don't have a good 5K in me right now, Owen, so I, I don't want to waste an effort on it. So I'll be looking after the kids. And um, there's a nice little 5K or five mile as well in Ferry Carrick down in Wexford just a few weeks later, which is very close to where my wife is from. So she's going to do that as well. So I'm kind of letting her have a, her little road running season. And um, I'm going to focus, I think, on some very basic base work out on the hills. 
Okay, okay, very good. Save the vapor flies for another day, Renny. So, um, Renny, for today's Christmas special, if you like, what we were hoping to do was the first section of our chat, our usual 15, 20 minute coaching segment on a very interesting topic. And I'm not too sure how this one's going to go. And I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on it. The, the title of it is How to Think About Our Training rather to what to think about our training and just before we jump into it then after that we'll do our q a we've got three very interesting questions that came in during the week from our social media followers if you like so looking forward to getting to those three as well so maybe just to kick off the segment Rene, and um, if you want to just delve into that and i'm very interested to hear your thoughts on the difference between how we think about our training as opposed to what we think about our training yeah, and I have an example that I think we'll, we'll dive into a little bit deeper in this segment, which is from Scott Adams. And uh, people might remember Scott Adams is the cartoonist who uh, writes Dilbert. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with it, Owen, but it's I'm, not, I'm not. No, no. It's, it's very, very famous, but it's basically trying to, it, it's a cartoon that highlights uh, the kind of insane nature of the IT industry. Okay. Uh, but Scott Adams is the type of character. He had a lot of different um, businesses and jobs and focuses through his life. And he wrote a book uh, where the focus was, why, you know, why you should have systems, not goals. Uh, and I think he put it fairly provocatively, you know, something like losers have goals, you know, winners have systems, something like that. Um, and obviously he wasn't trying to say that, you know, having a goal is is always useless in every context you know there, there is something behind that but it's a great example of how when you change the way you think um about your training it can also change the way you execute it in quite a radical way so i think we might you know we, we, we will go there i think at once we've introduced the topic um so we have a little teaser here anyway for the for the listeners about you know what does it mean to have a system rather than goals because in running obviously we are goal driven most of us anyway you know and it's always about the the next race and the next time and the next um, PB or finishing in, you know, in a fastest known time or finishing in the top 20, whatever it is, you know, so there, there is a tendency because it's a sport to drive towards very specific goals. So, you know, I, I'd like to just bring in his idea uh, and see if it can work for us. Sure, because I'm not too sure, Renee, that I agree with his quote of losers have goals and winners have systems because uh, surely you need the two. And I think most, you know, successful runners would have the two and, and any runner, no matter what level or what speed you're running at, as you said, we all have our goals. So is it a case, I think, where it's very important to have the two things, to have your, as we've said many times in the show before, your A, B and C races over the year. But then I suppose you just need to make sure that you have a good system and a good structure in place to achieve that. That is kind of a, that's a good way to look at the essence of it. And from that, you know, you can really explore where it goes because what he's saying, he's a provocateur, first of all. I actually don't agree with him on a lot of things. I've listened a bit to, he has this coffee with Scott Adams podcast, but I like listening to people regularly that I disagree with, you know, because you need that irritation to try and, and see, can you challenge yourself? Um, and that goes for running as well, actually, which we won't come back to. But um, he, what he's actually trying to say with that, provocation is that when he says goals he means that you have these kind of reach it and be done objectives whereas systems is what you do on a regular basis that helps you improve 
And he says that, you know, with goals, uh, if you look at the people who have success across sport and industry, he says what actually defines them is not the goals they set, it's the systems they follow. You know, so it, that, that's that's how he's postulating, you know, that um, dichotomy between the two. That you know, if you want to be successful, it's the systems that make you successful. It's not the goals. So in that way, you could say goals are for losers. But it's not obviously that it is not that the goals make you a loser. It is that goals without a successful system, which is obviously in a way is a set of habits that yeah. you execute and that you focus on. That, yeah. that is actually what will create the success. And, and just since now we are talking about it now, so we might just as well dive into to this. What he is saying is the, the big problem with goals is, first of all, you, you fail the moment you don't reach the specific goal. So that's the first problem with them. The second is that once the goal is done, you're often left with the question of then what? And he has this concept um, where he, he, he talks about kind of a post-goal uh, depression which, you know, we do see in the running world uh, in a lot of people after big goals where they start to drift for a month or two. Mm. Or they have, you know, the post-marathon blues and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. Whereas, <coughs> excuse me, that I had a bit of talking earlier today. So basically, the um, if we look at it, if you are system-based, so that means your main criteria for success is that you execute the way you are working towards um, you know, these objectives or the way you are just working on a daily basis. You've, you want that done in a certain way. And the success is to do that. The goal may come out of it or it may not. And the way he explains it in other contexts, which can help us begin to think about it in terms of running is that instead of focusing on I have to do 10 sales per week let's say you're a salesperson you focus on I am going to be on the phone with leads an hour and a half every day and you can make it more specific than that so it is this kind of if you were a runner at the simple level you might say well the goal is not a four and a half hour marathon the goal is to run four to five days consistently for 16 weeks and then see what comes out of it. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, that's where you can really take it to a level where it matters because that's actually how most professionals work. If you look at the big football clubs, there's a book about this called Every Day is Game Day. Mm. And every, in Every Day is Game Day, they lay out uh, how a lot of professionals set up their day and obviously, they have certain luxuries. We know that, right? They can focus their whole day on these rituals. But even if you only have 5% of your day, you can put the same level of focus um, and process orientation into, let's say, those 5% of your day. And it, it, by, for instance, let's say you always execute a certain type of warm-up in a certain uh, sequence. You never rush. You always make sure you get 10 minutes of post-workout cool-down activities. Or you might say, I always go to bed. I'm all, I had a client, I spoke to him the other day. He's preparing for the Wicklow round. Um, and he goes to bed at 9.30 every night. That's part of his process goals. Yeah. 
you know, and that's very admirable. And also, you know, he has certain things around. It's, it's with eating, which is interesting for us, obviously, in athletic performance. But it, the Scott Adams gives an example where he says, well, if instead of focusing on weight loss, you focus on eating a certain way. You know, so this, this is what he meant by this. You keep coming back to looking at how can I construct my daily routines? What habits do I need to build? And then the goal will just be incidental. And I think it doesn't mean that you can't have it, you know, because I, don't, I think it's actually probably impossible not to have it. You know, it, it, it's, it's very, very, it would be hard anyway for a human being who thinks in terms of most of us anyway, you know, past, present and future. It will be very hard to just say, my focus is to, be, to live um, like a pro athlete every day or as close to as possible. And to do that, I'm going to follow these specific rituals. I'm going to eat like this. I'm going to sleep like this. And I'm going to race. And what comes out of it, comes out of it. That might actually be a very relaxing way to be, though. <laughs> because your success would be purely something you can control, that you are doing what you intended to do in terms of your commitment to you know, a certain level of sacrifice for the goal. Yeah, he, he does add some nuances to it as well, which is um, you should learn something from the process. And the process, the system that you create should open up more opportunities for you. He, he talked about that in the context of his business career, because he didn't plan basically to become famous on this Dilbert cartoon. And he had all sorts of of things that he was drawing and other businesses. And a lot of them were not very successful. Um, he kept engaging with his audience to say, did you like this cartoon? No, not so much. Okay, I'll do another one that's different. So he, what he felt he did in that process was that he, even when his businesses failed, he acquired new skill sets and new knowledge that he could use to improve the next part of his personal process. You know, so, and I recognize that. You know, in my own business, I saw the same process. You know, there's a lot of work I have done over the years where if I put down and said the time investment for the money we made, I should never have done it. You know, if that was my only criteria for success. But by doing it that way, the hard way, making mistakes, uh, learning new skills over time that eventually became useful, I opened up more opportunities for myself later on. And, you know, that, that would be true for training as well. You could, the way you could see it is, well, if I do a certain form of training, it should be so that I have more options for doing training later on. You know, and, and what's an easy example of that? Well, one is that if you rush in and just trash yourself regularly, that's not very likely to open up, you know, a lot of long-term opportunities for you to improve your training. Yeah, because you've gone right to your max and you'll probably start having niggles nearly from the beginning and you have narrowed your field of opportunity. Mm. So, the, you know, these concepts are really useful um, every day, you know, and, and you, you know, you could say to yourself as well, I want to feel stronger and fitter and healthier and better week on week. I don't want to feel it, it's a process fail, basically. It is, and it takes time, Rene, I think, as well, doesn't it? And I, that's maybe one thing to, to say to the listeners, that to put successful systems that work for you in place 
might take a couple of seasons to get right. Or even those systems might need to change as time goes by, as our bodies get a little bit older, as our lives get a little bit more stressful. We need to adapt those systems that might have worked well for us when we were in our mid-20s. But now when we're kind of in our late 30s or mid-40s or whatever it might be, we need to put new systems in place to add on things like maybe make sure that you have good strength work and make sure that you have a good activation routine just before you go out and make sure that when you come back from your run, you know, you have 20 minutes, half an hour to relax and you're not just going back straight in to the stressful environment like we spoke about on the last podcast. I think that's a fantastic point uh, because that's, you could say the best template for training is an evolving one. Because, it, you know, even if it's a, first of all, it does take time to build good systems and you can find that in all contexts and people were right, even in your household, you know, when you first get married, it takes time sometimes and work to get things to gel. Um, and this is probably where, you know, it, it, some people fall down in, in all types of interpersonal relationships is mm -hmm. we, we are not accepting enough of the fact that things cannot be smooth in a business, in a relationship, in a sporting club from the beginning. Um, and it is only by trial and error and testing things that you start to see when the eggs break, you know, and, and when they don't. And in a training process, that means that you, you, you start from kind of a, usually a known template of training that has served a lot of people well. And that's simply because you think, well, if I'm anything like the great mass of people, this might work reasonably well for me. But from that point on, then you need to start to say, well, now I need to then begin to structure that into my own personal system for training. So you need to start noticing, you know, what workouts work well for you, which ones don't work well for you, um, what sort of, you know, frequency of training works well for you, which doesn't. And as you say, then, because your life changes, that needs to feed into that. You know, so you really have to be the captain of your own ship. I have a really good engagement with your coach to say things are changing because you know this is something you and i see all the time is that yeah. people have a lot going on and as a coach you can become like a project manager for this person in a way in that you start help help them take some of the workload out of the process of building the perfect system you know by helping them shift workouts around so they don't have to think about how to do it um, help them respond to strange situations that are occurring in their life, you know, so they don't have to figure that out. Um, take some of the mental load off because we obviously put in, uh, based on what we know, a certain progression. That means they don't have to do that. And they can then think about, you know, maybe building the other parts of the system, you know, such as their sleep routines, their eating routines, um, you know, all these other things that, that are there. But, but that's definitely the key, you know, is to understand that that's, that's really what you're doing with training. And if you, if you get stuck and say, well, five, six, seven, eight years ago, I had this wonderful spell of training where I ran exactly like this, and it just doesn't seem to be working anymore. You have to start, you, you basically, yeah, you need to evolve it just like a business would, right? Because a business would, any business that keeps doing business the same way it has always done is very likely to go out of business. Mm. You know, you yeah. simply can't stand still with anything in the world today. You know, you always have to say things are changing. How do I need to react so that my process stays relevant? 
Yeah. And as we're talking here, Rene, I'm thinking about maybe the two profiles of listeners that we have or the two types of races that our listeners do. I think a lot of our listeners, they love their trail running, long mountain races, even going ultra and beyond. And then I think a lot of our listeners also do marathon on the marathons on the roads as well. Like we might have a typical runner who does their ultra trail running races in the summertime, and then they jump into the Dublin marathon at the end of October. And as we're talking about systems, I'm thinking about the robustness of each system for the end result in both types of races. And from what I've observed over the years is that with a road marathon, if you have a good system in place and if you survive that 15 to 16 week block of training, I think, you know, 90, 95 percent of the time you're going to have a very good marathon if you've got through that good system of 16 weeks. But what I've observed in the ultra trail running world is that you might have the best system in place. But I think the percentage of success on race day in the ultras is just that bit lower because the ultra trail running race is just so much longer. <laughs> you've got trickier routes. You've got the, the extra intricities of, of the nutrition that you need to take on. You've got maybe more extreme weather elements. And it's just how to balance the two that even though in the ultra trail running race, you might have a wonderful system but the race mightn't always go according to plan. And I'll just give you a very good example, Renny, and then I'll hand it over to you. Um, as the listeners know, I teach English to Pablo Villa, the professional Adidas Trek Terex athlete. Every, every Wednesday, we have an hour chat in English, and invariably, we end up talking about training and racing for the hour. And Pablo and the Adidas professional running team, they have a superb system in place, 12 months of the year. They have access to training camps. They have access to the Adidas labs in Germany from a medical point of view, from a gear point of view. So they're 100% prepared. But Pablo will tell you himself that despite that best system, he does not always perform or does not always get good results in trail races just because they're so hard. But what he's learned over time is that it's okay to not have a good result in an ultra trail because it's not always the case. And he was even telling me there this week that his Adidas manager, his manager of the team, when they went to UTMB there last, um, last summertime, of a squad of maybe, say, I think it was maybe 15 to 20 professional Adidas runners, he knew that only roughly five of the 15, say, would have a good race, which is 33%, a much lower percentage than I think you might have on a road marathon. So it's just not being too harsh with yourself in the trail running world that despite having a good system, if you don't get the good results. Yeah, and I think there's two angles you can put on that. Like the first is that yeah, if you have a system like they have and you execute that consistently, um, you will have more good races than bad. Uh, mm. And you should be happy, as happy as you can be when it doesn't go 100%, that, that you, know, you, you controlled what you could control. Um, and it's a bit like playing poker, really. You know, when you play poker, if you play by the system, the, the odds correctly, and you understand the mathematics of the game, you will have nights where you will lose despite doing everything right. But if you play a thousand games, you're going to win more than you lose. So that's one way to look at it. That That's how you could live your life and say, if I do everything right, more often than not, I'll get a good result. But there's no guarantees in life. And the more unknowns there are, the more variables 
that an event has and an ultra and the trail has more variables than um, a road marathon, you know, so that's one explanation that even when you do everything right, there's a higher failure rate. Also, it's harder in some ways, you know, you're out there for longer. Um, but a, a way you could look at solving it is extending the view, you know, and Pablo probably does that to a big extent. Um, that to say that it's because in the ultra, the training process itself um, is a smaller proportion of the overall success criteria than the process you have in place for the day. Whereas you, you might say for the marathon, just to be a little bit kind of sim simplistic, as long as you get up right, don't eat anything weird, follow your, you know, drink energy schedule and don't blow the pacing, you will have a day that's reasonably um, comparable to your training. You know, unless for some reason you've picked a marathon with terrible weather, <laughs> you know, then yeah. it becomes more like an ultra suddenly. Yeah, yeah. But for ultra runners, we know from the statistics we've talked about over the, the year that there's so many things totally unrelated to fitness that kills you off in those races, you know, such as blisters and stomach problems and navigational errors, environmental hazards. And, you know, there's a much greater psychological component, which, you know, is something that maybe you would neglect a bit more as an endurance runner in your preparation. So, any most of the books that have been written where you say there's not a huge amount on ultra running but they all go into this idea that you really need very firm protocols for all the issues you think you're going to encounter you know so basically you need to do kind of a, a list of things that are likely to happen and you need to have an auto plan that just hits so when you get a blister what do you do a b c d process execute if you have a bad stomach, what do you do? The plan is here. It's ready. Um, and I think a lot of the failure rate being so high is probably because we still have that mindset of we do all the preparation extremely focused. But on the day itself, we might be a little bit loose and fast. Mm. Too loose and fast for an ultra. And I'm not saying, obviously, there's loads of people listening to this where this won't be the case. You know, there'll be lots of people listening to this who, who are this meticulous. And, you know, I've met some of them. But it, it could explain why for some people, Owen, it's, um, they just need to take that system process focus into the whole race and think out all the permutations. So they have all these backup plans right to hand. And even that is no guarantee, but I'd say it'll probably drive down that failure or that loss rate, you know, if everyone did that. Sure. And we might maybe finish off this segment, Rene, with a quote from the Adidas team manager from their, week, from their meeting during the week that Pablo told me about. And they were going through the budgets and the um, training holidays and camps that they had planned for them and, and their resources and what have you. And Pablo was saying everybody was very, very impressed with, with what the Adidas team management were proposing to them. And the coach said to them, guys, if we invest gold, we'll win gold. <laughs> so I thought that was a very apt quote. And, you know, we, we can apply that to our own modest training as well. We don't need to be a professional um, Adidas runner to invest our own gold in, into our own training. And it doesn't have to be financial. I think it can be time-based. It can be, you know, energy-based. And then if we have the financial um, capability to invest in whatever it might be, good runners, good coaching, good nutrition plans, or whatever it might be, I think you do have a better chance of winning gold. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I remember own like in my early days when I was making reasonable progress. You know, when when I didn't have injuries, I was making really good progress, and it, it was based on that idea that um, just try and copy as many things as you can from the top elite, even if you know, as an individual, you may not be born with the same genetic gifts you know and I, I looked at that what's the best equipment what's the best physiological support I can get can you do something with altitude what, what are the best supplements you know my mind was in that way what's how, how does your body composition need to be um you know just to try and think like uh, and live like the top performers if you want to be like them it doesn't guarantee that you will be exactly as good you know because you might be blessed with the same natural gifts but you will certainly open the road to fulfill your own max potential. Um, and I think maybe, Joan, if we want to finish, because at the very beginning, we, we dove into this um, and it was kind of off the, it was off the idea that it's, it's important to how you think about training, not just what you think about training. Um, and I think maybe just to, just to, 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 it's a topic we might revisit. Um, but the idea with that statement is that when you go to school, for instance, you, most of the stuff we learn is information uh, or how to access information it means we we are very good at that you know finding we can read books or we can go online and, and look at articles and we have all this information uh, but we even in university you know and I, I went to university until I was 26 years old um, there was very little focus on how to think as a, and that means, like, how? Imagine we, to, you had a problem in front of you, um, and there was no libraries, there was no school books, um, there was no information available to you of any sort. Then your whole brain processing power would be focused on: this is the issue, this is the situation I'm in, these are the resources I have available to myself. How do I solve this problem? And if you, our ancestors probably spent a lot more time thinking in that frame of mind versus what we do today. Today, I think we are much more focused on, I have this problem. Where can I look up a solution to this problem? Yeah, I've been there running many a time where, yeah, you might have a niggle or a, an injury that's, that's coming along. And the first thing you do is you call a physio, you book an appointment or you look up something on, online where maybe if you actually spend no more than 10 minutes to move your body in a certain way, to, to jump or to jog or to walk in a certain way and see where that pain is coming from. And does the pain stop or reduce by moving your foot in a certain way, by moving it in a different angle? Does that help rather than just looking for the quick solution of go to the physio, get a rub, get an injection or whatever, and I'm solved. It's about yeah, analyzing the situation yourself sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's when you, if you start doing that with your own training, instead of just always trying to basically, as I say, if you're in who, who wants to be a millionaire, you know, instead of always calling a friend, <laughs> uh, you, you will develop a better ability to analyze and evaluate what's going on with yourself. Um, so it's definitely something to practice. And it also, you know, it, there's a quote about that captures this, that's saying, you know, today we are, um, we are drowning in information, but we are starving of wisdom. 
And that's because wisdom means the ability to take information and implement it in, in a real world context. You know, because as you, you have lots of people with all sorts of knowledge, but they have not actually, it's actually a bit like when you come out of university and you're dropped on the floor of a big multinational. You have all this theory in your head, but you've actually never really applied it to try and fix real problems. So there is a lot you don't know. You know, there's a massive amount of things that are not captured in the books. Um, and that means you you need to kind of be prepared to, to say when, when I implement something, the main job is actually to see what happens and, and to try and understand it. And you can do it too, you know, with the help of others. Um, and you can even do it when you read books because what most of us do is when we come into a new field, we try and find a system that seems proven and solid. So we have some kind of foundation for the types of problems we want to solve, which in this case is how do I become a better performer? So for me, I ended up eventually at Lydiard, right? And I decided I will spend a lot of time trying to understand the Lydiard method in every nuance. So I spent years where he was near my exclusive focus. You know, mm -hmm. I met some of his former runners. I went on the Lydiard Foundation course. I, I, even the old books that were out of print, I got my hands on them because I wanted to try and understand what he was saying from all possible angles. Mm. But then you take it out on the road as well, you know, as you are learning and you start to notice where what's in the book and how it's meant to happen according to the book doesn't necessarily happen exactly that way. And you also notice where it happens exactly as it's laid out. And it's actually in that comparison that you start to form and perfect your own system because you notice, oh, um, if I do it 100% like this, I end up injured. But if I take it a little bit slower um, than he prescribes, but I follow the basic principle that he wants here, then it works for me. You know, this is a very kind of simple example. Um, and then when you have that foundation, you have a firm kind of, you feel like you're standing on something solid. Then I started to branch out again. And I would read all the other coaches I could get my hands on, like I did in the early days. And I started to look for similarities between his system and theirs, because as they say, all coaches have something useful to say. Arthur Lydiard used to say that, you know, and, and he yeah. said, even Percy Serity, who was his great rival. So he got a dig in as well on the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but what, what, but one you're... thing I might add in there, Renny, is that there is, isn't there? There's so many different coaches and coaching philosophies and systems out there. And the one thing that I've learned as well over the years is that you need to have a system that you're happy with and that you enjoy that type of training. Because I think time after time, research has shown and real life examples has shown that if the athlete enjoys the sessions and no matter what type of system or coaching it might be if they enjoy it they're probably more likely to get better results than the athlete who might be in maybe the scientifically more proven methodology of training and um, but if they're not enjoying it i can guarantee you they probably want as good results from from a from a type of system that they do enjoy so i just wonder how many of those books um, that you read, Rene, did the coach actually say, guys, this is my approach, but if you don't enjoy it, it's okay to go elsewhere. 
Well, it's funny you should say that because in his in Lydiard's first book, the first chapter is called "It Starts with Enjoyment." Ah, brilliant! <laughs> and, um, so he, he knew, and uh, and you see this whole thing, yeah, believing in your training and enjoying it. We've talked about this before; is key. So it's no good that a system on paper worked for someone else if you hate it. You know, as you say, if you just dislike slow jogging with an absolute passion, I don't think there's any way you can get healthy using let's say the filmaphetone approach which is a you know very easy aerobic running nearly exclusively for very long periods of time so for a person like that you need to find a different way to do what he is trying to do what he's trying to do is to repair people who are metabolically damaged by bad diet and too much high intensity training and stress so again, this again, this is how to think about training because now you're not thinking about what you're not thinking about whether I'm doing Maffetone or Lydiard or Jack Daniels. You're thinking about what am I, how am I trying to do the training? I am trying to get fitter aerobically um, while repairing my trashed engine. You know that could be a way to phrase it. Yeah, yeah and yeah. F- and from there, then you have this grab bag in front of you of options, and you just need to put it together yourself or with help you know, from people who have already done it. Um, but absolutely, on like the, without the enjoyment, um, it's a sport after all, you know, and, um, why, and, and I would make that part of my system, I think, if I, for yeah, a while. Definitely. Um, I mean, let's use all that research and all that reading that you've done to go through our three questions that came in during the week. And the first one was from Wayne, which I think came in on Instagram. And Wayne said, I'm a three-day-a-week runner. Rene is always saying to do most of our running in zone two. So how would I structure my three runs a week? Or should I look at it from maybe a two-week type of structure as opposed to three runs a week? What do you think, Rene? Yeah, he could do both because on, on three days a week, you can be a little bit looser with the rule because there is not as much risk of overdoing the high intensity. Unless you go to an extreme. And as an extreme, I would mean if you do three interval sessions per week, that's going to be a problem because you're not going to become a very good endurance athlete. Um, You're just going to have a really high anaerobic capacity. So there's two ways you can do it. One is you can say, well, I'm just going to go by minutes. And let's say you run four hours. You might run one hour, one hour, two hours. Then you would take the, the four hours that you have And you will say, well, what is kind of 80 to 90% of that? Um, That is three hours, 12 minutes, if we go with 80. Mm. And that would leave you 48 minutes you could do in zone three and zone four. Now, I would think early in training, that's a bit much. You know, if you're doing winter-based training, it's a bit much to, to do only three hours, 12 minutes easy, as in zone two and below and then do 48 minutes of the rest because you, you usually build that volume up a lot slower. So what mm-hmm. Steven Seiler, who was the, the researcher behind all this, he said is you can often, when it's minutes you use, you go by a 90-10 rule. So in this example, that would leave a runner who does four hours a week on three days a week, they would do uh, that. They, they will have 24 minutes of intensity to play with. And the other three and a half hours and six minutes will be the zone two running okay so those and but the rest you can split 
So the 24 minutes could be, you know, it could be one zone three tempo. It could be four by six minutes, relaxed, fast, you know, with easy recoveries in between. It could be a fart leg with, you know, random segments at different paces up to 24 minutes. Or it could even be split into the two two of the three runs that you have per week. That doesn't really matter. I would probably, though, if it was me, I would put it in one run so that the emphasis of two of the three is strongly aerobic. Um, Yeah. And I think when I bite that, you probably mean that it's okay for Wayne or anybody that can only get out for three times a week. I think it's okay for them to do one long run a week when they have that system because the majority of our listeners are probably looking towards, you know, a long trail running race in the summertime that will probably be over two hours. So for them, it's okay to be doing, say, 90 minutes or more every Sunday, as opposed to, say, an 800 meter or 1500 meter track runner who probably only needs one long run if they're doing a system like that in two weeks and the rest, a lot of the work will be, you know, on the track. So I think Wayne is probably good to go for his long Sunday run every Sunday. If he's only, yeah, I, I would say so. I have a, we have a, a girl in the club who can only train on Sundays at the moment because of the situation with the children. So she only does a long run. Only. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. But uh, for Wayne, if he, the other thing he can do is uh, he can go by a three week cycle. That's what I would do instead of two. Okay, 21-day cycle is very, it's very topical at the moment. And right. what he would do is seven easy focused runs. He can have leg speed in them if he wants. That doesn't count as intensity. Um, and then he would have two runs focused on zone three, four, five. Okay. Okay, over a 21-day period. That's the other way to do it if he doesn't want to do the minutes. Yeah, yeah. And he just touched on it there, Renny. And, you know, we've mentioned it so many times over the course of these slots on the podcast, just the importance of adding in a couple of strides on those easy days, the adding in four to five, 75 to 80 meter strides are so important, aren't they, for just keeping those fast, fast twitch fibers developed and keeping a bit of speed in the legs and also just to avoid the monotony of constant zone one and zone two running. Absolutely. Okay. And the second question that we had, Rene, was from Maria, who said, guys, it's looking likely that over the Christmas time, I'm going to miss 10 days of training between family commitments and work commitments. Will my fitness be affected by missing those 10 days? And I think that's a very good question, Rene, because there's probably a lot of people at the moment who might miss a week and a half to two weeks, whether it's from Christmas family commitments you know, people are out injured maybe at the moment or are sick with colds and flus and what have you. And then, of course, there's the COVID situation going on where there might be a lot of people that have to self-isolate and mightn't be able to get out for their run for two weeks. So from, from your own experience and from the research that you've seen, how much fitness can we potentially lose over a 10 to 14 day window when we can't get out to train for whatever the reason might be? So the, the law of detraining basically says that it's roughly you lose at twice the rate that you gain it. And so for one week of training, um, so you lose two weeks of training for every week you don't train. Uh, or two days uh, for every one day you don't. Uh, that, you know, it sounds very dramatic, but, but what it is, good, yeah. it, it, it is... Um, the thing with fitness, when people say, oh, I lost fitness, and this is what I was trying to explain uh, to, to 
a few people a few years ago in some workshops we were doing about fitness. Fitness is not a term with one meaning, right? So it's not clear what people sometimes are asking when they ask that. Because fitness, you know, in a Darwinian sense, it's your ability to survive and attract mates, right? That, that's the, and that means you need to be good at surviving in all sorts of situations. So it's not just about being specialized, fit in a specific context. Um, for runners, what they usually mean is, you know, do they, are they fit enough to do the training they used to do? And then secondarily, are they fit enough to run at a certain level in races that they're used to? And those two things are often not the same. You know, you can be in great general shape without being in good race shape. Um, so for, for most people, it's just the way we use the term is really how much training load can you handle? And this two to one rule is quite useful because what you can do is you can look at your training and say, well, if I didn't train for 10 days, if I go about 20 days back in my schedule, that's where I should pick it up. Yeah. And, less, I, yeah. and you might remember, Renny, I think it was one show that we did during the year where we came across a bit of research that spoke about that. If you are away on holidays or your training is going to be interrupted for two weeks to three weeks, if you can even get to go out for, say, 20 to 30 minute runs, um, as opposed to just stopping and doing nothing for two weeks, if you can even get, say, three to four, 25, 30 minute runs in per week, that slows down the loss in fitness dramatically, doesn't it? Because it just stimulates the body. It keeps everything active. And by just getting out for that short period of time, especially for people that maybe have those family and work commitments over Christmas time. If you, if you can even just get in a half an hour, as opposed to your normal 60 to 70 minute run, you'll maintain your fitness, won't you? Yeah, this is one of the hacks that we can, again, it's another law of physiology, basically, that you do not, um, what say, you don't lose. It's, it's not as difficult to maintain fitness as it is to build it. So and, and some studies showed that you could maintain your basic aerobic fitness. That's a bit of a loose definition, but that you can that you can maintain that on 20 minutes a day. Mm. Uh, so that is doesn't mean you can maintain your top marathon shape at 20 minutes per day. Okay, but it yeah. means that's probably enough to sl slow down the slide. And that, I think that's definitely good to know. And I found that often when the few times to say I would go away for things like uh, my hometown festival, where you know that you're not going to treat your body maybe as the temple it is uh, for four or five days. And I would often say, well, if I can just every morning get out of my tent and go for 20 minutes, that is something. And it makes a difference the next week when you come back to training. It's easier. And it, it, it definitely makes a bigger difference than you think uh, the only time that logic doesn't work so well is when the reason for your break is actually injury from the running yeah you know because then you don't have that choice but then you can do other things you know <laughs> to make yourself better and and you know there's as I said the alternative ways of cardio and you could do circuit training and um, even many for you know light walking there are, there are many ways so don't get demotivated and um yeah yeah, well, even, even after you know, everyone after the turkey likes to go out for a good long walk with the dog, you know, and um, it all adds up. You know, you could be very active on the 25th, you might be in the kitchen on your feet the whole day.
Sure, sure. And sure, I might let you know, Renny, how I go now in January because that form of training, I've been pretty much doing it for the last five or six weeks myself because the, the only quality time slot I have to train at the moment is between quarter past eight after the school run and 10 to nine before Denny goes off to work and I'm on babysitting duties then for the rest of the day. So the majority of my quality running midweek anyway has been just in those 35 minutes. And a great example was on Wednesday when I'm managed to get a, a 10 by 400 meter session in between quarter past eight and 10 to nine so i'll let you know how the 5k goes in navin on the 27th and we can see if that 35 minute a day and strategy works um, that, that'll be our case study yeah we, we might move on to the last question Rene, that we have for this slot here today and it came in from paul and paul was asking why is it that some athletes can perform well off a fat-based diet and others can't? Now, I know we could do a full 20 minutes on this if we had the time, but we've got about five minutes or so left, Rene. So again, that one there, it's such a tricky topic, fat-based or not. Um, there was a big trend towards it about maybe six or seven years ago. It, it was very, very popular. There's been a pushback now from the from the carb enthusiasts, I think, over the last two or three years. Um, what do you think on that one yourself? Yes, yeah, so we could bring on our old friend Barry Murray at some stage because he was one of the people who, who really experimented with this in great detail. But the short answer is that it's because people are only looking at the when they look at whether you take in fat and sugar, they're only looking at how much ATP can these diets and these uh, macronutrients create in the body at a certain speed. And when you eat sugar uh, or when you are burning the glycogen from your body, you can create a lot of this ATP, which is the energy currency, really, really quickly. So basically the saying is, well, if you fat adapt, um, it's not going to help that. That's kind of a very, very simplistic but they are, there's a factor ignored in that discussion, which is that the body has other ways of speeding up its energy production than that. And one is basically that when you have an extremely optimal lifestyle, so I'm talking about real pristine, you know, you're living the natural life full on and not very stressed, you're not constantly around machinery, and you also eat a very, very clean, natural, probably high-fat, low-carb diet, over a period of time, your system changes in some very fundamental ways that are not fully captured by a lot of the studies. They're captured by some studies, it should be said. But the way to look at it is that you might not be able of that diet to produce this ATP as quickly as you can with sugar. But what actually changes is your cables inside your body. If you imagine the energy flowing through like electric cables inside your body, what happens is, is like the cables become better quality and the resistance in the cables is lower. So that means even though you're not producing as much ATP as quickly as the car burner, it, there is less of them lost on the way. So that means you might actually be able to produce the same energy, but you can't measure it in the traditional way. And that this is what explains why some people do things that current physiology cannot explain. And simply because we don't know everything. You know, in fact, we probably know a tiny proportion of how physiology really works. We're only skimming the surface, but we have a tendency to act as if we know most of it. And that's a mistake, you know, in my, in my view. But it, it is something I think we might revisit maybe with a special guest at some stage, because we could, for, if there's some people sitting, you know, oh, this sounds like pseudoscience. 
we could explain it in more detail. You know, there is some very firm science behind this of, of what I mean when I say your cables get better. You know, it's not just a metaphor. We know exactly what happens. We know all of the mechanisms um, and they're well established. Um, but it just would take probably, you know, at least 10, 15 minutes to explain this. Sure. And maybe um, an episode that the listeners could revisit, Rena, is the one that we did with Ian Keat. I think it was around maybe the second or third week in September after he was the first Irishman home in the UTMB in Chamonix. And we spoke about his diet and we spoke about his fueling strategy during the race. And he said that the only thing that he had over the, is it 100 and... 62 kilometers or so now it might be a couple of kilometers short either way and um, the only thing that he had in that utmb race was a snickers bar and he said the only reason why he ate the snickers bar when he was because he was bored <laughs> and he just wanted something to help pass the time over a certain descent or descent but someone like Ian, who he who is obviously fat-based he's very highly trained he's very highly experienced he's been doing it for a long long time so again just if anybody is thinking of going down that road it does take time to adapt to yeah you need to understand the process you need to give it time and you probably need to be very committed like you can't it's not most of these extreme or what we consider today extreme maybe they were normal once you know but not now uh, they take a significant investment. So you need to kind of be able, you, you want to be willing, you really desire to do it and go the whole nine yards, you know, and it's very similar to people like Wim Hof, you know, the Iceman who did all these extreme ice challenges, you know, running a marathon barefoot in shorts on the North Pole, uh, you know, walking up Kilimanjaro at record speed without a t-shirt and just doing his, his breathing technique that he perfected over decades. But he actually managed to teach other people to do this without getting altitude sickness. Um, so there's these amazing things that we can teach ourselves to do that are on the fringes of physiology. And I think we just need to have two thoughts in our head with that. If you're really interested, be ready to study and commit uh, and don't discard it as nonsense just because it seems a bit wild. Um, it, it, because there are clearly some edges of human physiology and we can't just write it off as these people are freaks. And yeah. you know, there might be a real chance that if you want to do it, you could learn how to do it, but you, you won't be able to do it on, you know, 10 minutes, three times a week or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, really, thanks a million for all of that today. It was a great segment. I hope the listeners now enjoyed it. And indeed, really, thanks a million for all the segments during the year. And um, it's been a really enjoyable year doing the, the, doing the podcast with you every two weeks or so. So happy Christmas, Renny, to yourself and the family. And I'm sure we'll see each other on the trails and indeed see all of our listeners on the trails over the next couple of months. And um, I hope Santa Claus is good to you. Fingers crossed, Tony. Yeah, it's been my pleasure as well. So it's, uh, it's been a nice, nice uh, thing to do every two weeks, this chat. So yeah, here's to the first one in 2022. Exactly. Behave yourself at that Christmas party tomorrow night, Benny. All the best. Take no care. No promises. All right. <laughs>
that's a wrap for this week and indeed for this year everyone and many thanks again to Rene from Running Coach Ireland for all his input this year and do check him out on Facebook or Instagram if you have a chance and if anybody is interested in getting some training or coaching advice from Rene he really is fantastic and he is as good as he sounds on all of those segments that we've done with him on the show this year I hope you enjoyed it guys all the different episodes that we did lots of good interviews there on our back catalogue now and if you do have a moment please do pop over to patreon trail running ireland podcast if you can get the help out with the price of a gel treat this six euros a month to help keep the christmas tree lights on here for another year guys in the meantime stay safe everybody have a super great christmas enjoy all those miles enjoy all those kilometers and don't forget as always let's get your running gear on let's go (laughs) 